Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill this place, fill each one of us to overflowing. And Lord, speak through me now that my words would be your words and your grace and truth would be spoken, heard, and received deep in our hearts here today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Glad to see you. Man, I'm out of breath, which is appropriate for the metaphor of this sermon you'll hear in just a second. Yeah, we have a long distance journey, don't we? All this backing and forthing and walking and handing and carrying. My poor staff, they hear me talk about this all the time. Uh, countless occasions I've made this uh, statement as we make our way along the path of ministry. I say, remember that this is not a sprint. We're running a marathon. They're like, yeah, 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 we know, we know. Now this is uh, perhaps a little disingenuous for me to say, as I have as yet never in my life ever run a marathon. Um, But I can imagine what it might be like, and I am beginning to understand what a marathon life itself really is. And in particular, I'm aware of how much like a marathon the Christian life really is. In his second letter to his protege, Timothy, the apostle Paul uh, spoke of his own life of service to Christ as being a race. And if you read Acts, you'll see very clearly what a marathon Paul's race was before he crossed the finish line. And so... So I haven't ever run a marathon, and I can tell you why. I haven't done it in part because of the obvious pain and suffering involved. I've, I mean, well, I should say this. It's not just the pain and the suffering, although that's a big thing. Because I've done other painful and and tough things in my life, and I will do more, I'm sure. So I think probably what I don't like about a marathon is The fact that it is a race that starts without any sight of the finish line. So I used to run track, and my event was the 400 meters, which is the one lap around uh, the track. And uh, I liked that, uh, that race. It was a hard race. It had some pain and suffering involved, for sure. But I liked it because I started the race where I was going to finish the race. I could see where I was going before I even started. The other reason, though, I have trouble seeing myself ever running a marathon is because I'm not great at solitary endeavors. And the running of a marathon looks to be so solitary. And so I guess what I'm saying is that if I'm going to run a race that's full of pain and suffering, I would like to have an eye on the finish line and some steady sustenance of companionship along the way. And so Paul calls this Christian life a race, and if this race is a marathon, how do we run it? 
I think we find much of what we need to answer this question in the ninth chapter of Luke's gospel. And in this chapter, what we have uh, is this beautiful, exciting, spectacular event called the Transfiguration. And so what do we get in this uh, chapter for the Christian life? Well, I would say we get a sobering call, yes, but we also get a glorious hope and a sustaining word. So, would you turn with me there? If you have your own Bible, open it to Luke chapter 9, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, feel free to click on that. Uh, Or if you want to use the pew Bibles there in front of you, you can find uh, where we're going to be on page 867. We'll be mostly in the the center section of chapter 9 of Luke's gospel on page 867 in the pew Bibles. And to carry this uh, marathon metaphor forward, before any race is a race, there has to be a start. The starting pistol is fired, and off you go. You're in the race. And in this chapter, the starting gun is actually fired by Peter. Jesus asked his disciples in verse 18, Who do the crowds say that I am? And several answers are forthcoming. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, one of the prophets of old that has risen. Lots of different answers. Interesting answers that look back but also in a way that hint at a future arrival of the Messiah, God's chosen, anointed king. But these answers that are given by the crowd, they don't quite hit the mark. They're still putting Jesus in the category of those who anticipate the Messiah. And so Jesus asks, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, the Christ of God, that is the Messiah of God. You are the Messiah, Jesus. Bang! The starting pistol goes off, and they're in the race. Peter gets them started by confessing that Jesus is the promised Messiah who will usher in God's kingdom. But they're mistaken on what kind of race this is that they are in. They may see Jesus as Messiah, But they don't understand the work he's come to do. They only understand him as the conquering king come to defeat their enemy, who they think is the occupying empire of Rome. And they think it's going to happen in a sprint. But that's not the enemy that Jesus is anointed to defeat. And it will be no sprint that he runs. Jesus Jesus tells them his race is one of suffering and death before resurrection life. Verse 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. In Mark's and Matthew's account of this, Peter actually rebukes Jesus as he says this when he foretells his death. He doesn't want to believe it's that kind of painful race that's got to be run. But Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, Jesus knows exactly what kind of race this is. It's a marathon that will be marked with pain and suffering. 
on a cross. It's a cruciform race. It's a sobering call. In verse 23, Jesus tells his disciples and all of us who would call ourselves his followers, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus wants his followers to know that this race in which they are running is a marathon. It is a painful marathon with hills to climb and shin splints to endure and heat and rain and cold and wind to weather. He tells them that this race is a race of dying to self daily. This is the sobering call of Jesus to us. And it was sobering for him. Don't forget that though he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem and his cross in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion, he pleads with his father, Father, please, if there's any other way, let this cup of death and suffering, this cross, pass from me. He sweats blood in anticipation of his cross. This sobering call is a call that he doesn't send us off on, but is one that he leads us through. If anyone would come after me. I think it's always important for us to know this truth of the sobering call of our marathon race as Christians. It does us no good to be deluded and uninformed of the pain and the suffering that inevitably marks all of our lives in a fallen world. And Christians, friends, are not off the hook from this. It will manifest itself in our lives, and in some ways it will likely happen in our lives more acutely because we will suffer precisely because we are Christians at times. But then in verses 28 and following comes this spectacular display. The one that we just read about, this event that is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and here in Luke, the transfiguration, that which we celebrate and remember especially on this day, August 6th. Jesus takes Peter and John and James up a mountain to pray. And as he's praying, his appearance changes, his face shines, his raiment becomes a dazzling white. It's reminiscent of the mountaintop experience Moses had in our Exodus reading that we just heard read. Except in this case, Jesus doesn't reflect God's light like Moses But he is, in fact, shining forth the glorious light of the Lord himself. He is the Lord. And then Jesus is visited by two men, right? Moses and Elijah. Moses is there representing God's exodus salvation. And Elijah is there representing the ultimate eschaton, the the last day, the, the day of the Lord. Or as the prophet Malachi described it in some of the very final words of the Old Testament, the great and awesome day of the Lord. And they're there, and we read that what they're discussing with Jesus is his departure. And that word that's translated departure, there could also be translated as his exodus. And as you 
read that. It's his exodus, but remember what he said, if you would come after me, right? So it's his exodus, it's our exodus that he's discussing with them. Here in this glorious moment, they are discussing Jesus' cross, his resurrection, and his ascension. And Peter, James, and John, they are sleepy and, and they're napping and while Jesus is praying. But in verse 32, they, they wake up and they behold, they see for themselves glory before their very eyes. Peter is enamored with this, rightly so, and wants to preserve this moment, this glorious moment. He says to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Peter does this, he makes the common mistake of confusing the glimpse of glory for the final all-encompassing glory. He also makes the mistake of putting Moses and Elijah on par with Jesus. Three tents, one for each of them. It's not them who are tabernacling or tenting with Jesus, but Jesus, the Son of God, who has come and tabernacled with all of mankind, including these two men. He is there in the midst of us, those saints of old, those who are there on that mountaintop in that moment, and us who are now reading of it many centuries later. These are men who have beheld Christ's glory. Yes, he gives them a sobering call, but in their transfiguration, Jesus gives them a glorious hope. The race is a marathon with pain and suffering, for sure. Taking up one's cross daily, but right here, as the marathon begins, Peter, James, and John, and all of us who read the account are given a glimpse of the finish line. And Peter wants to put this Glory intense, but he doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know that this glory is but a glimpse of a greater glory to come, a glory that is ultimately to fill the whole world and to be enjoyed by the whole world forever. Peter is right in saying that it is good that they are there. The seventh century African saint and church father, Anastasius of Sinai, picked up on this once. And he wrote these words. He said, It is indeed good to be here, as you have said, Peter. It is good to be with Jesus and to remain here forever. What greater happiness or higher honor could we have than to be with God, to be made like him, and to live in his light? And that is the hope, to be with him forever, living in his glorious light. Habakkuk prophesied of this glorious hope in chapter 2, verse 14 of his book. He said, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's where we're heading. That's what's at the finish line. But the marathon has not yet been run, at least not all of it. And so Peter, James, and John's experience on the mountaintop is not over. Even as Peter is getting it wrong and... Showing his short-sightedness, verse 34, the cloud of God's presence enshrouds them all. And they hear the voice of the Lord 
speak and confirm what Peter had confessed at the starting gun. In verse 20, the Lord says, This is my son, my chosen one, my Christ. Listen to him. And it's that last part that's so important because the glorious hope isn't enough for them to run the full marathon. The poet W.H. Auden once wrote of the short memories of the disciples, even after the transfiguration. He wrote this. He says, Christ did not enchant men. He demanded that they believe in him, except on one occasion, the transfiguration. For a brief while, Peter, James, and John were permitted to see him in his glory. For that brief while, they had no need of faith. The vision vanished, and the memory of it did not prevent them from all forsaking him when he was arrested, or Peter from denying that he had ever known him. So the glimpse is not enough. Just seeing the finish line here and now is not enough. We need something else. We need more for this race. They, we will not be able to run it as a solitary endeavor. We will need to be sustained throughout, and we will, we will be by the truth of the word of Christ. So, Jesus' beloved, uh, Jesus, who is God's beloved son, gives a sobering call, and then he shows a glorious hope, and he will give those who run the race his sustaining word. And those who run the marathon must listen to to him and to his word. And what is Jesus' sustaining word? This good word, or as the old English, English way of saying it, this God spell, his gospel. Well, I think if you look to the Beatitudes, that's not a bad place to find kind of a, a, a synopsis of it. Uh, chapter 6, verses 20 to 23 of Luke's gospel, you'll see it there. This good word that Jesus gives his disciples as they run the cross-bearing marathon with all of its inevitable pain and suffering. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus promises that the marathon will not be a solitary endeavor. The glorious risen Lord Jesus, he promises his disciples, even as he gives the great commission, he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He promises to give his Holy Spirit to those who are running the marathon. The spirit he calls in John 14, 17, the spirit of truth. You could say the spirit is the one who constantly speaks this sustaining word or brings to light that sustaining word right out of these pages. And Jesus says as he promises the Holy Spirit in John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There's nothing solitary 
about this race we run. It is a race we run for Christ. And thankfully, it is a race we run with Christ. If we will listen to him as he, by his spirit, speaks his sustaining word. So, on this feast of the transfiguration, I pray we all know that the race we run is a marathon. And it is not a sprint. The pain and the suffering is part and parcel to it. It is, in fact, the only way for the race to be run, as evidenced by Christ running it before us, taking up his cross and finishing the race before us upon a different mount outside of Jerusalem. And even with all the struggles that we all face, Never lose sight of the glorious hope of the transfigured Christ Jesus. It is good to be here. Catch that glimpse of glory and allow it to inspire you to keep running toward that great and awesome day of the Lord when his glory will fill the whole world and will fill each one of us. And don't lose heart in the running. Listen to Jesus as he speaks his sustaining word to you. You are blessed in the midst of the hard race. You will win the crown of glory because he has already won it for you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, it is a sobering call to be your disciples. And I pray for us here today, wherever we may be in relation to the race, Lord. Perhaps we haven't even begun the race. We haven't yet confessed and had the starting gun fire, Lord. And I pray that whatever those hindrances might be, those things that cause us to hesitate to run, that you, by your grace, would remove them and we would see you as the Christ of God. And Lord, as we enter the race and we face the hardships of this marathon, the pain, the suffering, I can only imagine the many things represented in this room alone, let alone around the world. But you are merciful and you give us a glimpse of glory. We see you transfigured shining like the sun, for you are the Son of God. And Lord, we ask that you would, even as we catch that glimpse of glory, then continue to sustain us with your good word, your gospel truth, that you have conquered the world. You've won the victory over sin and death. And we, Lord Jesus, will one day cross the finish line. We will behold your glory in all its fullness for eternity, enjoying you forever. We pray these things in your powerful, precious, and holy name, you who are the glorious Christ, Lord Jesus. Amen.